0: Six Nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six Nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply. 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk
1: Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple competitive business finance. They've supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. And for that reason, they've teamed up with Saracens and England hooker Jamie George. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Funding Circle. Business finance that backs you.
2: hello and welcome to episode 31 of the ruck from this season uh, I'm Alex Lowe and I'm joined down the line uh, today by Stephen Jones who was whose journey into London was uh, stymied by uh, the same train nightmares that um, that made life pretty tricky for Liverpool and man City fans on on Saturday and and by Stuart Barnes gentlemen thank you for joining me big pleasure for you Pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure for me indeed uh, how were your Easter weekends uh, what sporting treats and sweet delights did you did you experience?
3: well I, I, I saw a, a game which I think uh, at the stoop which I think the Harlequin's crowd were probably one of the noisiest they've ever been. I just t- took me back because I'm so old when I first started watching Harlequins Alex they played um, inside a, a running track and and, and it, they were always about four seemed about 300 yards away from the single stand but by me they got some fans over the years there was a tremendous atmosphere uh drum uh, a dramatic game and in the end all hinging on a conversion which any of us three would have put over
2: yeah so something to, something to write about that was incredible and uh, stuart what did you enjoy
4: i would love to see steve in the 875th <laughs> minute <laughs> like well, any minute lining that one up um it wasn't in front of the post. It was on the 15 metres line. It's a nine out of 10 kick. Um, he should have got it. Of course he should, but it uh, wasn't quite that straightforward. Um, pressure does weird things to you. As for me, I had no pressure. I had a nice easy drive to the East Midlands uh, where Leicester had a nice easy win against Clement. Clement didn't field their strongest team and Leicester in true Steve Borthwick fashion did what they had to do and not a lot more. It was impressive in a sort of, third gear way which is how I think Leicester like to play it'll be it'll be really interesting to see when they have to go you know top gear all the way against Leicester what happens but they're they're motoring along nicely at the
3: moment. Just one thing uh, one thing about on that uh, note when I was at Oxford Poly I was the goal kicker and I kicked the goal from the touchline in the Oxford Bond versus Bond twin towns match at the Gronau Stadium in Bond to win the match so before you uh, re- rubbish my goal kicking, Steve. I could kick the odd goal.
4: I retract, Steve. That was I mean, okay. Well. Apology
3: accepted. Apology <laughs> accepted.
2: <laughs> so, were you the what? What position did you play, Steve? Second row, number eight, and number eight and goal we, uh, we were. We
3: were so many points behind. We then drove the ball on at the scrum. I touched down, um, uh, and then I took the conversion. So what more could I do for the team? I then, uh, in the next play, threw a horrible pass which was intercepted, and they scored under the post.
2: Brilliant! Well, wow. great times. I, so talking of um, loud crowds, I was at uh, at Wembley yesterday. Took my son, who's a Crystal Palace fan, and the the noise that those Palace fans made for ninety minutes, their team was losing, was just was just wonderful. And it's one of those. I think it, yeah. it sounds like you had the same at at the Stoop when. You know, when when a a crowd has its passion kind of flowing down from the stands, it's just it's just it's just something re- remarkable in sport that, that you get. And um, I had a great experience of that. And and actually, I was at, at Bristol Friday night for a, a madcap game, and you know, by the end, th- that big crowd at Ashton Gate was was not dissimilar. They were, they were up on their feet, roaring as as Bristol almost came back from nowhere against. Fourteen and sometimes thirteen men against against Sale, and then and then just fell short. And it, it was a it was a, a it was a, a a great game, a great entertaining game, which which triggered a, a pretty memorable weekend um, of of European rugby in the in the Champions Cup and and in the Challenge. All of which we'll we'll examine in detail coming up on on, on the Ruck. We'll go back through all of the Champions Cup fixtures. We will. Reflect on um, the the latest in the Women's Six Nations, and we will finish with our weekly God, Goddess, or Devil award. Let's start with the Champions Cup. Um, as as we said, we we're all we we're all at different games. Stuart, what was your your general reflection on um, on this round of sixteen, the the two legs, which which is a new uh, feature this season? But it threw up some some cracking ties. There's a lot of talk about this home and away system staying. The problem is, how many weekends can you free up yeah, to have home and away games? But but blimey, it, it created some drama, didn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean it, it, the home and away. It, it was absolutely brilliant this weekend. I mean, bear in mind it was it was a one-off. We don't know what would happen if we did it for the next ten years, but. On the evidence of this, it it was highly exciting. Um, It galvanised a tournament that has been slumbering, not for its own fault either, because mainly uh, COVID. But as you say, uh, we got the extra game because we were losing pool matches. Uh, When we're not losing pool matches, we can't have the extra game. God bless these players. They're playing way too much as it is. Um, I would love to see the group of 16 stay, because I think it was uh, an unquestionable success. And as an experiment, it's worth uh, b- b- being maintained for a few years to check if it stays like that. Um, but that means that Europe has to get its head together with uh, France, the Celtic nations, England, and work out how the hell we could get this extra game in. Um, I haven't thought about the, the, the minutiae of that yet. Um but it's worth a ponder, I think. Steve, you've been Thanks, quite, uh, you've been quite the,
3: down the, on it. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, we've got to, we've got to, almost feel we've got to keep this home and away around. Uh, 16 teams in both competitions, um, eight fixtures per, per week. In, I, I just think it, we have to keep it. If you do, the only trouble is then you have to have fewer pool games. You'd have to have eight pools of three or, or something like that. Um, but, but, you know what, what I, what I would be, I'd be really confident about the future if, if there was any debate about it. As usual with these competitions, all the chat is happening behind closed doors. It should be up there so that potential sponsors and TV should be saying, blimey, the European Cup is, is doing this, that, and the other. It's, it, it's, it. but, but there's no, no one knows what the heck's going on there. And as usual, uh, private, privateering in, uh, in, in, in committee rooms and all that is happening when we should, it should be a debate that the game should have. I, I, I think that, uh, I don't think it, it is, or it's certainly COVID didn't help, but I think that the tournament is sagging uh, uh, more than a little because it does not make enough money for the competing teams. Therefore, they do tend to now prioritize their own leagues. Uh, except in in Ireland, and I think it is a really important what they now do to to save this tournament uh, for for next season and to really big it up.
2: You've you've had a downer on the on the tournament for for a while, Steve. Did this weekend yeah. and did did these home and away fixtures change that in any sense that, that the drama that they created, or or is it is your wider is your point wider than that 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 you don't feel they're taking. The tournament seriously when i would say that some of the some of the contests would you know, would present a a counterpoint to that
3: well look the thing is the the the, the numbers the, the numbers are down i mean you know alex and we all know that these days we know exactly how many people read everything that we do we even know how long they stay on the article with the dwell time and I don't think the numbers in terms of reading about uh, these games are, are, are what they they were. But it's it's taking a snapshot, a personal snapshot. I'm certainly not down on the competition because I've I watched it from the very start, and um, it is does not have the huge gloss and the sense of a step up that it once had, and that that is like I say because the top 14 is so successful. Um, you know, people saying, oh, we were wrong to say Montpellier fielded a weak side against Arlequence. Well, they changed 13 players. So one of them wasn't their first team, whichever it was. Um, And they did get through and good luck to them, but only because Marcus Smith missed a kick. So I I think that there's a a small rump of teams in France, maybe two or three, who really would love to win it. I think there's Ditto in England, maybe... um, only one has got the capability to win it this year, and I do think it needs a complete and utter reset.
2: So those quarter those finals, uh, Racing 92 will host Sale, La Rochelle against Montpellier, Munster against Toulouse, which will be held at the Aviva Stadium, and not Toman Park, because Ed Sheeran has a home gig at Toman Park that weekend, uh, which seems remarkable, frankly, that the Munster can can get through and end up having to host to lose up in, in Dublin. But the fourth quarter final, uh, which is probably the pick of them f- well for me certainly. Leicester to host Leinster. Um Stuart, you saw you saw Leicester at the weekend. Um Leinster are just this 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 beast of a team. How do you see how do you see that unfolding?
4: Um Leicester are gonna have to be on another dimension to anything we've seen from this season. There are an improving English team. Leinster are. Uh, uh, Leinster could be, right, at the moment, one of the best three or four international sides in the world, which is what Ireland are. They're effectively Ireland, um, and they play with the cohesion of a club. Sometimes they look even better uh, for their province than they do for their nation. Um, yeah. They're going to be very hard to beat. Uh, every time I watch them play, Uh, you think, blimey, that was impressive. And you think they've still got a couple more gears to go. Um, The good thing for Leicester is they're not having to play. You know, if if what was left of Europe was now a league, Leinster would romp it. But when it's a cup match, you can lose. Odd things happen and you can lose away. And I would say Leicester, if any team can put them under real pressure, it might just be Leicester because of the way they play. Ford is brutal in the attritional nature of keeping teams uh, pending their corner and they'll just be hoping Leinster and Sexton uh, just get impatient and try and play in areas where they shouldn't be unless they can put the squeeze on them. Uh, they've got a pretty powerful pack. Uh, they've got uh, one of those crowds that is the 16th man. So even taking all of that into account, I, I don't see any other team winning this tournament but Leicester, but it's a knockout game, it's a one-off. Leicester are the best team in Europe by a country mile, um, but it's the quarterfinal, Welford Road, and you never know.
3: Alex, you- Alex I, 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 I sort of agree with you, except for this. Leicester are, 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 are a coming team, they're improving, and good luck to Steve Borthwick, he's got them back. It's it's very a short time ago that they they were in re, they were relegation fodder at one stage if there had been relegation. Now they're coming back and Leicester was saying, look, we're not there yet. We're uh, we're on our way and and Borthwick is being really really cautious as are the players when they talk. Do you know what? I'd like to see Borthwick say, look, we're Leicester. If we're that good, if we're becoming that good, well, we should be beating Leinster at home. I'd like them to really go for it, get the crowd stirred up, get the team stirred up. Don't concede that Leicester and Leinster are favourites and stick it to them and see what happens. There's nothing to lose. If they should win, then suddenly their revival is, is up in the sky. So I really hope they they, 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 they talk a good game and, and go in without caution and, and give it a blast.
4: Al Alex, I, I would just counter that slightly by saying I, I, I'm only just getting used to a head coach who says it as it is. It is where Leicester are. Bothwick is being honest. The players are being honest. They, are, they don't even use the word pathway and process that much. I'm enjoying the fact that they're just saying, you know, we're just trying to be as good as we can be at the team at the moment. And and we've gone through a period of time where there's been so much bull coming out of uh, press conferences and coaches that I'm enjoying Steve Borthwick saying that for all of what Steve says. And, and you know, it doesn't matter what Leicester say before Leicester. It's such a massive game. They're, they're going to get themselves up and the crowd won't need getting up. They're very lesser crowd are, are, are very pleased with life at the moment, even if Borthwick says... We're not the greatest Leicester team ever. They're they're very happy with where they are.
2: They beat. I
4: think
3: it's a classic English rugby thing to leave yourself an excuse in the pre-match that you can use at the end. It's bloody. It's a quarter final. It's bloody Leicester Tigers. No excuses.
2: They beat Claremont uh, over over the two legs, um, 56-27, As you said, uh, Stuart, it's not a vintage Claremont team. How much will they miss? Dan Kelly, who who went down with what looked like a serious hamstring injury, you'd you'd be surprised if he was fit in a month uh, in 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 time. Yeah. Sorry for for those ties on on the first weekend of May. Um, and and Ollie Chesson was was one of five red cards I think this weekend, which which is a a record certainly since since yeah. the um, since Opta started counting in about 2010. Um, which we'll come on to the red cards thing shortly. But but those two players have been have been massive for for Leicester this season.
4: Yeah, they have. One thing I would say, there, and again, we often hear we're missing so-and-so, we're missing so-and-so. Rugby is an attritional game and you just have to get on with, with what you've got. It's not as if Leicester got half a team missing, but as it is, uh, Kelly's one of these guys, he's like sticking plaster. He's a very clever player. Um, I think George Ford benefits from having his solidity uh, and, 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 and basic rugby good sense outside him. But, uh, Chesham has really developed well. I I, I was impressed with the way he was playing. He caught my eye on Saturday. Um, But again, Leicester have got plenty of cover in that back five, second row, back row. And it's a disappointment for the bloke and for Leicester. But, you know, between now and then, I'm sure Leicester will lose uh, uh, one or two big names as well. And that's just the the nature of the game. So, um, Kelly, yeah, it's a blow. um, But we just have to move on with that one.
3: Uh, Alex, uh, you're a grand old uh, former prop <laughs> yourself. I, 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 I think I, I would, as a, a, a devotee of scrummaging like you, I would pay to watch Ellis Genge against tight uh, furlong up front. I think it'll be tremendous. And I think, as far as that goes, the, the 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 more the refereeing is done by someone who understands the phase and doesn't go for the bullshit, the more that it will favour uh, uh, furlong. Uh, Genge is a very, very uh, clever scrummager. I think Furlong is probably at the moment the better scrummager so however much uh, they're allowed to scrummage, it'll be, it, it will be to the advantage of Leinster if, uh, if there's a ref who understands it, maybe a French ref but it's going to be a fantastic
2: battle between those two. It definitely will and Steve, just on that subject actually at, at Quinn's um, on Saturday, the Quinns were camped on um, Montpellier's line, winning penalty after penalty, resetting scrum, choosing scrum, choosing scrum. I think it was one yellow card for eight penalties, and in the end they left with with no points. What was the sense mm. inside the stadium? Because that was, yes, Marcus Smith missed, missed a kick, but 12 minutes were taken up there on the line, and... Um, Penalty after penalty. There was a sense from watching on television for me that that the warning uh, from Mike Adamson didn't come early enough. The yellow card then did eventually come, but then further penalties came afterwards with no no other sanction. What was it like inside the stoop? I can imagine that oh. the place was jumping and, and 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 expecting points, but also perhaps a bit of amusement about the way that that was managed by Mike Adamson. Well,
3: something told me that that. Uh the Queen's fans wanted a yellow card, where, because 12,000 of them were all had their hands up in the air, <laughs> mimicking the act of, of flourishing the card, which was interesting. That thing was all fascinating. I watched it again, uh, well, I actually watched it again when I came back, Alex, because in, in my view, let, let's leave aside uh, Mike Adelson, who I think is really, really struggling. Um, uh, I think that referees now when they, uh, a team gets the other team right on their defensive line and bashes, 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 referees would never dare give a penalty to the defending team. They just assume or that, that because of the momentum, it can only be the defending team which is offending. Now, in that phase of the eight or nine scrums with three or four lineouts, it was absolutely blatantly clear that twice Montpellier got the ball won the ball honestly once with a scrum wheel won the won the ball and had had it and yet the referee thought oh my god I can't I can't give them an escape I better give another penalty to Quinns on the other hand if the referee is saying that's eight penalties to Quinns wrongly in my opinion but he's got to give the card before he did uh, but then when the card was given still Quinns didn't quite get the idea that they may not score there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as they go wide, Marcus Smith goes over, was called back by a crossing. So I don't think it, it, it certainly was a magnificent um, part part of the game, a great sequence, uh, thrilling. Uh, definitely yellow cards possibly should have been shown earlier. On the other hand, I don't think it showed either team in a great light because Quinn seemed to be totally obsessed with the fever, I mean, there was a time when Danny Care got the ball and was turned over just because he dived at a huge gang of people to try to score. So, I think there was a panic element of that at, at, with Quinns, which married to the poor refereeing allowed Montpellier to escape.
4: Alex, I watched that game closely, and I sort of narrow it down to two things. Steve makes a very pertinent point about teams in attack, and especially if it's near the end of the game, then, then they never get penalised. And and you see teams, they, the support man flies off his feet. And you know, if a defender did that, it would be, unless it was Mike Adamson, a yellow card immediately. <laughs> Attack, you do that, and it's absolutely nothing. So I think Steve A, makes a very good point about that. But B, if Adamson did think that Montpellier was so persistent then it was a, an awful bit of refereeing, and I'd take you back to yellow cards. Yellow cards were brought in, um, not as a not as a lesser piece of, of foul play, but to cut cynicism out. And in its early days, referees were ordered. We're talking a long time ago here. Ordered that if you get first minute of the match, a penalty for offside, five meters from the try line. The bloke goes straight away. And over the course of the decades, yellow cards have become slightly different. They become less a foul play or something when the ref finally snaps in the end. They are not being used for their original purpose. And it, it leads to the two points Steve has made. Attacks, getting away with stuff and defenders. You know, when there's five, four or five penalties and the ref says final warning, you know, I want to put my arm around the ref and say, "Don't you understand? It, it's no final warning. They've beaten yeah. you. They've beaten you, and it's as simple as that." The the the, the blacks, who Steve knows, I have unbridled love for their attacking play in Richie McCaw and Conrad Smith in their prime. Time and again, they would get away with it, and the ref would say, "Come on now, lads, not another one." And that's what happened Saturday, and it was wrong, and it was weak refereeing.
3: Alex, well, a, a final point on that. Um, which, I, which, which, drives, which drives me mad. When the team has been putting the pressure on and the referee wants to speak to the defensive team, the defensive captain says, right, ref, is it okay if I tell my players? The ref says, yeah, go on. He turns his back, goes away. He says, right, boys, there gets, there's such some air in here. I bet you he never mentions the referee. And that is, you know, an attacking team. They've got them under pressure. They're hammering away on the line. It is a disgrace that referees ever give the defensive team a chance at a breather, because that is all it is. You should play on. You knew the laws before you came out. Why should the ref be explaining them to you in the middle of the game?
4: Part of that, Steve, that is linked to the ridiculous uh, palliness that so many referees want oh, to have yeah, the players. Yeah. They are not their friends. The players, I could tell you firsthand, will smile and they'll be nice, and then behind the refs' back, they'll laugh and say, "We pulled one over him that time." Players are trying to get it over the referee. The referee should just call the game, but because he thinks they're all best mates, then yeah. everyone could go away, have a cup of tea, a chin bag, and a you know a hot cross bun as it's Easter and and all's well in the world these yeah. have got a stop Agreed. thinking that players are their mates cut out first names and just get on with it fast
3: absolutely just say number 6 or number 8
4: yeah
2: from yellow cards to to red cards as you mentioned that there were five that there was Aaron Reed was sent off in for sale against Bristol on Friday I was there very similar he's very different in stature to Ollie Chesham in your game uh, Stuart, but it was exactly the same. It was a shoulder to the head. Now, there is an argument that Chesham's the first contact was shoulder to shoulder, but really, I, I think that's beside the point. He he was sent off because he shouldn't have been in the position that he was in. It's it's led to, as I said, five this weekend, um, which has made it such a talking point. And anyone who read the Times and the, and the Sunday Times over the last couple of days with, with extracts, uh, from Steve Thompson's book and, and an interview he gave to the Times Magazine on Saturday, will will surely look at those red cards and think they're an absolute necessity if we're going to try and protect the, the brains of of current players from incidents. Which you know, I, I have no doubt. Just like Charlie Eales when he was sent off for England, he had no intention of of executing a a challenge that would knock out a player, but he was in the wrong position. He was in a position that made that possible or or even likely and he ex- he accepts that he, he he needed to get lower and and that's the message that that these red cards are, are trying to enforce on the game but it is changing games um and it has led to a lot of them maybe start with you Stuart. how do you reflect on on the use of the red card if you're frustrated with the use of the yellow are you do you accept the use of the red as it is at the moment
4: no um, and I think one of the problems, again, is confusion. Red, a red card uh, is, is a mark of a sending off, and a sending off is for serious foul play. Now we've got two reasons to be sent off, and it's confusing people. There's serious foul play, and there's the safe uh, safety and health issue. And I haven't yet got the answer, but I'm thinking about this. And red cards are being used to the same effect for two completely different uh, situations as you said you know if there's malice aforethought, you go straight away if there's not you now go straight away and this is whether it should happen or not it's, it's causing consternation and anger within the sport um, that's one point and I think we've got to address that the second I think is we can't have this conversation without bringing professional coaching into it Charlie Yule's uh, and and all the guys who say, yes, we were just too high, they were too high because they're coached to be high. Mm-hmm. You know, you are not coached to tackle around the waist. You're coached to go. So often the two-man, in. I, I saw a double. I'm not, I think it was the Rassing game yesterday afternoon. There was quite clearly a, a double sending off, but the referee chickened out doing it because one guy pinballed off the one shoulder onto the other. It's all shoulders. It's there to jolt them. It's to stop them being able to get the ball away. And it is coached. And we have to understand now um, that if we're going to get to it, it's not, it's not just change it's not changing habits on the pitch. It's changing habits on the training ground. And that's where right now it's not happening.
2: On your point there, Stuart, about red cards for, for two different things. Um last week we had uh, the brief fullback axel axel muller being sent off for um a an horrific assault um late high dangerous we also had guy porter sent off for um for nothing. For, for, for nothing yeah. really a, a a collision off the ball in which neither player was looking um and yet the on-field sanction was the same and all, i think remarkably the off-field sanction wasn't that different either I think there was only a two-week uh, two difference the, the, in suspension, the, the, wasn't the it?
3: Ludicrous nutter from brief got five weeks, and the uh, completely um, innocent Porter got three weeks. So that, two-week
2: gap. So that that's another issue that um, World Rugby wants to use sanctions as a way of changing player behaviour, as they call it on the field, i.e., get them to tackle lower. But the, the sanction for for the the accidental incident is not is not that much less than the sanction for the for the yeah. premeditated horrific
4: incident steve, the, the pro, the problem. Remember, steve did, did they not yeah. halve both of them so this the crazy brief full back yeah. got a 10 week reduced to 5 and a Leicester bloke got 6 to 3 and no they didn't halve it because they are looking aren't they at at foul play and and uh, safety and health from the same uh, set of glasses, and I, I, well, I the, but don't forget people
3: look, people. the reason why Porter almost got as much is because he actually said, "No, we don't. We don't accept it was a red card." Yeah, and and the thing is that I think that's unfair be because players now who, who, who are probably innocent are having to say, "Look, if we in the current febrile situation, I'm going to get done anyway, so I might as well admit something I didn't do." But look, they're, they're, first of all, let's go back to Steve Thompson. Steve Thompson is absolutely lovely bloke. I really used to like the guy. I really used to rate rate him. I mean, I'd have him up there with Wheeler and, I don't know, possibly Jamie George as, as the greatest hooker I've seen in an England in England kit. Um, and we've all, I think, uh, at least many of the viewers and certainly some of us in the studio uh, have endured um, dementia in um in our, in our elders, family, etc., And to have that um, early in your life, and also, also Michael Lippman, Alex Popham, all the afflicted is just um, deplorable. I, I'm not saying that I think the outpourings of, this, this of their um, lawyer are helping us all, but I think one of the things in rugby is we're going to have to put up and grit our teeth with Porter um uh, incidents. The guy uh, was was running along um uh, uh, and and there's a totally accidental collision. Fritz Lee, I mean Fritz Lee then started bleeding, and the ref saw that. I think that if 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 it had been uh, Porter who started bleeding, Fritz Lee would have been sent off. It was a complete nothing. Now, look, we're gonna have to. Suck it up, I think, until the balance comes back, because the game has to be seen to be as protective as possible. Now, if only uh, all the authorities would really get their act together and say, "Look, lads, you don't have to send anyone off just because there's a collision." That's not what we're asking. Let's bloody sort ourselves out, sort out the protocols, and not panic. At the moment, the game is in panic stations.
4: Um. Would it help, gents, if one you know some teams are worse than others? And after a while, after three sending off for uh, one of these switch shoulder, not swinging shoulders, swinging shoulders different. That's malicious. One of these sort of strong shoulders, which is illegal anyway, or head on head. You know, you, the player would get for a health and safety card automatic week, no more. But if you send off the pitch, that's punishment anyway. It's a very different thing what you then do with the uh, serious foul play situation. Mm-hmm. But Shouldn't we be looking at the... I don't know. It's just off the top of my head. I don't know. Is there any club, Alex, Steve, that has got a far worse record? And And shouldn't the authorities be saying to Club A, if they've had five blokes sent off, not for serious foul play, but for sort of head collisions. They're calling the coaches up and saying, there's something seriously wrong with the culture at your club. But until we differentiate between foul play and health and safety, I just don't think, I I think we're we're operating in an utter fog of stupidity.
2: Uh, Latu was sent off for Stade Francais at the weekend, after which Gonzalo Casada said, it's my fault, I should never have have picked him. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to find the quote here. After long debate, I gave in for him to play. Tolu did what he did during all the last matches he played, signing mistakes, cards. Uh, it's up to me to be responsible for for that. So basically, there was a, a track record uh, of of that kind of action from Tolu Otu and they kept picking him, and he got sent off. And what the coach is saying is that it's his fault, his responsibility. He should never have picked him because he, he should be coaching the change, as you said. It, it, it comes from it comes from from coaching. Uh, Attitudes as as well as anything else Next on the Ruck We'll have a look at the the Success or otherwise Of of English clubs In Europe uh, Both in the Champions Cup But also in the Challenge Which is dominated by, by Premiership teams
0: Six Nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six Nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local
1: Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply. 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk. The Ruck podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium-sized UK businesses. Because Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Reese Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, we've been up and running for about six years now. And sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsmen to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle.
2: We've looked a lot at, at various talking points from the the, the Champions Cup. Um, one of Sale or Bristol had to go through. It was Sale. Then now travelling to Paris to face Racing, um, and we, we've spoken about Leicester hosting Leinster. That's two two English teams in in the quarterfinals of of the top competition. In the Challenge Cup, uh, the Premiership is, is better represented with London Irish travelling to Toulon, um, Wasps travelling to Edinburgh and the Gloucester playing saracens with with Lyon against glasgow as as the fourth quarter final um, what does that say about the premiership and we have this conversation annually but are two english clubs in the in the knock in the quarter of the champions cup is that about representative of of the league and and the the, the, the salary cap and and the recruitment and the standard of of teams um and w- and what does it say about the challenge cup that that actually is quite a strong representation
3: well that that it, it, that is indicative of the current situation, Alex. Um just to have two two teams in it. Um and don't forget that um in the years when Saracens were, were in it and dominating it, uh we all used to say, well, blame you, take away Saracens or what they what they got there. Um I, I I so I think it is representative, and I think English clubs should aim to have more. It it is not a vintage. There's been some great games in the in the in the in the in the tournament in the uh, in the premiership but not possibly of the highest class uh and now it's up to lencer and sale I, I i just got this sneaky feeling that the racing sale game is not remotely as as a, as assured a result as people think i think sale have got a fighting chance there but uh i just think that i can't see anyone else really uh, in the division who could exist in the quarterfinals or after Stuart uh, in, in the semifinals. No, just well,
4: I think um, French have got two in the lesser tournament and four in the big one. We've got four in the lesser and two in the big one. And that, as Steve says, is absolutely uh, indicative of where this is right now. Uh, and it's it, and it's not just... Um, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, it's the wage cap. But Jonesy makes a point well there about Sale and for one year Exeter. Outside of them, you know, England was doing nothing. We were getting thumped. Um, frankly, to have two in the quarterfinal is is not that different to how we English clubs have been for quite some time. Um, uh, the French have been dominant, I think, at the moment. Um, the The quality of Premiership rugby isn't as good as the excitement, but the excitement levels are rising. The attempt to play the game at pace is quickening. Mm. And I think you have to go through a change uh, in the game in the way that the premiership is to come out the other side. And and sometimes you have to be patient. And as long as the European Champions Cup is still there in two or three years, I think we might have a very different scenario despite the the money factor. I think young English players come through, can change the culture. It can make teams tighter. And I think the way we play will make a difference. But for for the moment, France have the players... They have the squad. I mean, we saw that. If Montpellier told us one thing, uh, it's about squad. Harlequins couldn't have won by 14 points at home and then gone there with 12 changes to their team and had a hope. No, true. Mont- Montpellier didn't, and, and, and that's a big thing. Um, and, and, and again, you know, yesterday, Stad Rassin, I looked at the, the Rassin bench, and they had uh, uh, Bobini, who's a really fine hooker, they had uh, Trevor Nayakane and they had uh, Eddie Benarus I mean that's yeah. high class international front row. That's bomb squad stuff,
3: isn't
4: it? Absolutely, and that's different level. That's a different level, and that is where the uh, the finances do come into play because of the not not the best fifteen or so, but the, just the sheer depth of the squad. Steve Saracens haven't
2: uh, you've been quite open in in. In the fact that the Challenge Cup has not been a priority for them this season, that they're, they're in it because they're they're back in the in the top flight this season. Um, mm. Yet they've made the quarters, going away to Gloucester. Do you, do you think it's their tournament to go and win?
3: I, I do. Um, they're, they're still not flat out. They still haven't filled mm. their full side. I think they're shuffling the. I think they I think they what they've been doing, Alex, is they've been trying to work out who is going to go into the spaces that they have in the team. Ie number nine, uh, uh, the, you know, the let's um, the, the, say the, the, the new skeleton, the new Wigglesworth at scrum half. I think that's what they're sorting. Uh, yesterday, I was really struck by it. Um, there was a very poor crowd at Saracens. I think that they, they said that was because the match was arranged so late. But I, I thought I thought Califf put up a good show. That was a good game. Uh, what, what struck me was that they got some players. They got some young forwards who were really really coming through. I think Dom Morris is, uh, is also accelerating in his career. Um, Max Malins was just blissful to watch. And also, I don't want to start an old debate here with uh, my colleague, uh, the fly half, but uh, Owen Farrell uh, just brings something to a team, a level of organisation and steel. And he, he, he the way he operated with quick ball to keep the moves going and to vary them until Sarri scored just reminds you that he is by no means a negligible player in, in attack. So, uh, look, the other, the other thing is Gloucester, I mean, what a popular trophy winner they would be if they managed to win the win the uh, the Challenge Cup. So that's a great tie. That's a great tie. I, I But I do fancy
4: Sarri's. Steve, I've got to play devil's advocate here. In the last few years of playing for England, how often have you written about the level of organisation and still that Owen Farrell has brought to Eddie Jones's England team? I don't remember once. I remember us saying, it's not happening there, we've got a fly half who's following the instructions of his coach and and is inflexible. I don't recall still or organisation. Well, that that's because of the whole of
3: the rest of it wasn't happening. I mean, you can't you can't go through the uh,
2: atomic, the attacking options when you haven't got any. Um, elsewhere, uh, just a word on London Irish. They're heading to, to Toulon, who are not the the force they were. Whereas Irish are not dissimilar in in to Saracens uh, that you just described, Steve, in, in the sense of they've got a a crop of young players who are, who are really starting to flourish. Um, some of whom have trained with England, uh, an Oli Hassel Collins, a Tom Parton. They've got um, P- Paddy Jackson, who uh, hasn't missed a Premiership game in in two years. Um, who can run the show at ten? Um, th- they're an exciting young team, really starting to, to to bubble over, aren't they?
3: Yeah, they are.
2: And by the way, can you give me a list of people who ha- those who haven't trained with England? Right? Yeah, well,
3: that's true. Um, <laughs> the, the, do you know what? I think Ch- I think Chulon are. Uh, are there for the taking now London Irish are uh, obviously this season their status in the premiership is very important um, leave us, leaving aside the lack of, the, of, um, of, of relegation they don't want to be at the bottom but they've sorted that I think they've got the team to go to Toulon and win that game no question Toulon are airy-fairy they're not quite sure what they're at and I think London Irish have got a great chance I think they've got a lot of talent I think Curtis Rona is one of the best outside backs I've seen this season
2: and uh, I think they've got a
3: great
2: chance. Um, Coming up next on the Ruck, we will uh, have a look at the round four of the Women's Six Nations and round off the pod with our God, Goddess or potentially Mark Evans, Devil of the Week. Coming up this weekend is round four of the Women's Six Nations Wales host France on Friday night. Italy play Scotland on Saturday, and England play Ireland at midday on on Sunday. England and France are currently top of the table with three wins from from three. Um, Steve, you have not only followed it closely, but you're you're very heavily involved in in the women's game. You you've set up the Iron Maidens at Maidenhead this season, and um and, and wrote a lovely piece about it uh, in the in the Sunday Times. And just just talk to us about about that process but also about the girls that that you're coaching there and and how they sort of see themselves in in this England women's team and, and the the bond that exists between the two
3: there is a bond the girls are very young they only go up to 15 but um, Maud Muir, the England, the England front rower only 20 came to be our coach this year and has been absolutely wonderful. And she's got this magical pie, Piper thing about her. So the girls have been going to to games with their parents or in groups and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, poor old Maud, she's got to do about 50 selfies after every game, but it, it is definitely inspiring them. And they're watching the games on TV, which they didn't used to. Uh, and um, so six nations is, is very big down their way. And, um, it's it's a very big match this weekend. I think that there's three games: Wales, France, Italy, Scotland, England, Ireland. The big game in the context of making this tournament competitive is Wales and France. Wales are um, are improving; and they're becoming tenacious. Nothing great yet, but uh, and France probably not at their best. Now we can't have too many fifty nil, sixty nils, Alex. And you just hope for the sake of the tournament that Wales can give France on Friday evening a proper game and it make it maybe try and keep the score down, possibly even threaten to win it. Uh, Italy, Scotland, is, again, it is probably it should be reasonably easy. England, Ireland, I'm afraid. Um, I can't see Ireland really with the greatest will in the world doing much there. So um, what, what the tournament needs is closer
2: games and uh, possibly Wales and France... We could see a close one there. I'd urge anyone to to go and read Steve's piece. But Steve, just just tell us what it was like. I mean, what made you decide to to set up a girls' team? What's the process been like? How rewarding has it been for you to be involved in? But also um, for the girls who have maybe found a sport that they that they weren't playing before.
3: Yeah, yeah it's it's, it, it's there's ups and downs when you get. Um, Come back from Leicester on the, from Exeter on the last train, which is delayed hours after hours. You get in at three o'clock, and you've got to get up in four hours' time to take the uh, take the session. That's not so good. But I've always thought, uh, like you know, Alex, your, your lads play f- football, and uh, um, my mine have always played rugby, and I, I always thought that all all the kids um you know deserve a chance to have what we have and some something with team spirit and uh, and, and sport um but but the girls never had that chance with rugby and we you know the three of us in the studio and um uh we've made we've had made such friendships with rugby at such great times you know as journalists or even even before we were or you know and um the, the girls love it, and they've wiped. What they have done is wiped away the final thing about. Oh, the girls, you know, I was worried about them when they went into contact, and someone smashed them. They just get up and get on with it like the boys do, uh, and that, that that's been very re- rewarding. It's very time consuming, and happily next year we've um, got something, which means I will get all the glory and do none of the work. But um, it's it's been great. I've really loved it. Uh, the girls have been fantastic. <coughs> I miss them now. The season's over. And uh, any 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 listeners that were there with with girls with daughters, um, send them along. Uh, if it's a good club, they'll be take great care of them. They won't move
2: on too quick. They will do the contact properly, and uh, in the end, they'll love it. You t- you talked about this this um, Wales France game being important for the the context of uh, of the competition. It's really we're really just. W- just everything's building towards France, England on the on the last weekend, isn't it? Is that is that the best structure for women's Six Nations that we're sort of we're waiting on England, on the winner of England, France to see who wins the, the championship? When there are teams like Spain who are a super competitive in in Europe,
3: I I would have thought. I mean, look, it's very very politically charged. This, but you know, I I've always thought that. The top two teams, say the top two teams, England and France, which they are. I think they should be joined by um, the third best team. In other words, the third best team this year, and I think they should play each other home and away. Um, that 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 gives each team the same number of games. They should play each other home and away um, in the first division, and that the likes of Spain and and maybe even Kazakhstan or something like that. Could come into the uh, a second division, and then there'd be promotion and relegation. The bottom of the the bottom team, of the top three, and the uh, top team in the in the bottom five would then would then interchange. Um, uh, people will go mad about that, but it, it doesn't do an awful lot of good, as I say. When you have fifty point defeats, if they can really get Wales, Scotland, and Ireland on a fast track, so that in two years' time. They were able to win at home, then that's something different. But uh, at the moment, it's slightly shaky. I mean, Wales put on a much improved performance against England, but still conceded 55 points. So they're not out of the wood yet uh, in the in
4: the women's Six Nations. I think it's a great opportunity, um, Alex, for <clears throat> Rugby Union to understand that it made a bit of a mess with its sort of closed door policy with the men women's rugby is so much newer it seems the most appalling shame if they just close the door on teams like Spain I think Steve's Steve's absolutely right Uh, if you turn around and say what is your justification for not having promotion and relegation I would love to hear what it is I would love to hear what it is it's not 70,000 people in Cardiff at the moment let's hope we get there one day You know, it's not the old tradition. There is no old tradition. There is no 70,000 crowd. All there is is vested interest, keeping others out. So I hope that uh, women listen to what Steve, the the women's game, go along with what Jonesy said, and we have a fluidity to it.
2: Sure. Right, Jones, we need to wrap up this episode, episode 31 of the season, remarkably, uh, with our God or Goddess of the Week. Who would like to go first? I can't see any hands. Steve, you go first.
4: I cannot believe we've gone through an entire episode of The Ruck without mentioning Ulster versus Toulouse. I got home from Leicester, had a sandwich and a glass of milk, and settled down to watch this game. (laughs) And what a cracking match it was! Uh, Ulster are a fine team. I feel for them being knocked out. But my God of the Week was a Toulouse player who, by his standards, was terrible. Antoine Dupont, um, in the Six Nations, if he doesn't have a wonder game, people say he's off form. He really was off form for Toulouse. He was throwing some scatty old passes. He was getting caught in possession. He was second judgment on things. And and in the end, they brought on another scrum half. He shifted to fly half. Mac moved to centre, so they had the two of them just one out. This bloke who's done absolutely nothing except play, 70% 70% below his standard, standing at fly half, gets the ball, sprints straight through what had looked like an Ulster brick wall to turn the game and win it for Toulouse. That's what great players can do. They can play like drains and then just with a flick of the switch, win you the game. It was an amazing for the, stone, the stone-faced the stone man. Brilliant.
3: That's a good one. Um, Alex, I, I'm considered a, a devil uh, which case it would be Olivier Azam. I uh, savaged uh, Montpellier for their selection policy, and I've got an evil, semi-threatening let- uh, tweet from the great Oli Azam. So much so that I'm thinking of moving house and changing my phone number. <laughs> uh, but I'm not going to go for Oli because I think deep down we always got on. At least I hope we still do. My God of the week is Zach Mercer. A man who eventually had the guts to say, Look, this Eddie idiot is never going to pick me. Um, I'll go away and improve my career while uh, he's there. He came up against um, Alex Dombrant on Saturday. And what a great confrontation that that was between the two. Mercer only came on uh, in the second half. But you saw the incredible. Um, contrast between the two number eights. Alex is a a very, very powerful, by no means slow, very clever um, uh, uh, player. Mercer has got another, uh, it's got the edge in terms of pace, running, elusiveness and footballing ability. And it was a great contrast, but I thought Zach Mercer looked an international number eight in the key stages of that game. And I think, as the Times said this morning, there'll be a massive um uh, load knocking on his door when he comes to the end in Montpellier and comes back to the English game
2: I think those are two outstanding nominations i, I had Dupont um noted down as uh, as someone i I would have nominated so i'm I'm pleased that we we got to 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 lose Ulster and that uh, and he got a nomination Is that Mercer certainly um from what I saw. Uh, when he came on and and in the first the first leg of that tie is, has taken his game to another another level as Alex Lazowski did when he went over there last year. Um, yeah, really benefited from that experience. Um, I sp- spent a lot of time watching that Harlequins game, thinking I have to give it to to Marcus Smith for the try that he uh, that, that Harlequin scored to kind of launch this this wonderful comeback. Only for him to scuff it <laughs> scuff it at the end, but I. I'd, I still think I'd like to nominate that moment, if that's even possible. The way that they that they piece that that score together from Danny Care's um, athletic uh, agility to keep the ball in to to that that moment of magic from from Marcus. So although he he blotted his copybook at the end, maybe I need to shift it to Danny Care for for making it all possible at the start. But as as moments go uh, of of high class rugby, that was right up there and as alan Dimmock pointed out to me on on text over the weekend it was on channel 4 you know it was available to to more eyeballs more rugby fans than than would other, otherwise have been the case and and if we can if we can keep delivering games and moments like that on on free to air and and attracting more people then then it can only be a good thing for for the game i'd say
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, we could. You could have based the whole of the wreck on that one. Uh, that one glorious try. It really was glorious. And yeah. Channel Four is another, another good point, Alex. Um, it was. A, that, I would have thought that was a, that would be a great game to show to people who were semi committed towards rugby.
4: I think it's. A, I think it was a, a a great god as well because you know. Let's. If we'd have called them heroes, heroes have feet of clay, and quite literally. In the 76th minute, poor old Marcus came out with a clay-footed kick. So go on, go for him. Metaphors <laughs> there,
2: landed. Gents, thank you for for, for joining me. Um, this is episode 31. Signing off. Uh, we'll be back next week. L- lots of Premiership, Women's Six Nations. Um, uh, enjoy your enjoy your rugby week, and we'll see you on Monday. Please like and subscribe, and and uh, and follow us wherever you get your pods. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks for listening to the Ruck podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. They know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. And they're working with England and Saracens hooker Jamie George to help him build his business. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Funding Circle. Business finance that backs you.
0: The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, ball! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch The Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. The The Six Nations and Green King. 18 drinkaware.co.uk